Alex Reamer. As always, we are coming to you, proud part of the Outsports Podcast Network. You can find the show wherever podcasts can be found, whether that's the Google Podcast Store, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Sports Kiki Podcast, our second show of the week. Uh, it's a mailbag episode because, uh, well, I ran out of ideas. Uh, no, in all honesty, um, I don't want to just have somebody on to have somebody on. I thought we had uh, two good interviews uh, over the last two episodes. Last weekend, last Saturday, in our normally uh, allotted slot, we spoke with uh, Sid Ziegler. We, I, I spoke with Sid Ziegler. That's a habit I'd love to get out of, just... The royal we makes you sound like such a pompous, you know what, doesn't it? No. I spoke with Sid Ziegler, uh, co-founder of Outsports, about Scott France's NFL prospects and the prospect of not having an active, openly gay player or star in the NFL or any of the major professional sports leagues. And Sid has a uh, really good piece up on Outsports right now, published Friday, about Scott France's uh, uh, draft weekend. He wasn't selected as prospects of making a team as an undrafted free agent and looking at whether homophobia had something to do with uh, France's exclusion from the draft. Uh, France said in an interview uh, this week that there were things that he couldn't, that he can't control uh, about his NFL career chances. Uh, some of the things that hurt me are out of my control, was, was his exact quote to a Kansas State blog. And, uh, you know, Sid's piece examines that. And he comes to the conclusion that he he can't say for sure whether uh, Scott France's sexuality played a role. He came out publicly to ESPN in 2017. Um, you know, he didn't have a great pro day as Sid runs down. He wasn't anywhere close to a top prospect anyway, as he talked about last week, too. Um, but... Yeah, I think it's fair to say, given our our history and what we know, it probably didn't help Scott France's chances of being drafted. But ultimately, the conclusion that Sid and I both came to on the show last week is we're we're just done waiting for the gay NFL star or basketball star or baseball star. I mean, we're just done. It's like why why wait for them these these leagues when they come. They'll come, and they'll be welcome to the party, but in the meantime, we have Megan Rapino and we have so many stars in the WNBA, and so many great Olympians, and uh, just so many co- collegiate athletes, high school athletes who we cover every day on Outsports. There are just so many role models to look at, and it's like, eh, like, when they come, they come. I used to be obsessed with it. You know, when I was starting my journalism career, if you will, uh, out of college, you know, 2014, 2015, this is right on the heels of Michael Sam, Jason Collins. It was a story I, I wrote about and pursued quite frequently and was very interested in it. And yeah, I, I even remember when Scott France came out. That was a big deal to me in 2017. But but now I'm like eh, kind of done waiting. Uh, so that was that conversation. And Tuesday we had a show with Samer Hassan. Uh, if you didn't listen to that, I, I, I encourage you to because uh, it, it was educational to me. And, and I don't say that just to be – pompous it, it is it is true uh, he's a queer muslim writer and i had him on because there was a lot of controversy with uh jeff goldblum and the question he asked on drag race last week about whether islam is anti-homosexuality anti-women he posed the question to 
uh, a Persian queen, Jackie Cox, after uh, her red, white, and blue striped runway performance. And originally, my viewpoint when I saw the headlines start up was, ugh, really? Like, I saw it live. I didn't think anything of it. What's Obviously, Jeff Goldblum is a champion of the community, as evidenced by the fact he's a drag He's he's a judge on Drag Race. I mean, I wasn't he wasn't in drag himself, but he was a judge on Drag Race. It's hard to be more pro uh, LGBT than that. Uh, support your local queens. Jeff Goldblum supports national queens. That's how much he loves it. But I, I'm I of course am just a uh, white dude from Boston. Like I don't like it. Did I didn't think anything of it because the question had nothing to do with me and my interview with Samer Hassan. And again, I'm not just saying this really changed my mind. I mean, cause when we think of the Muslim religion in the U S like the, the common perception of it is at least, you know, through media representation, we think of the war in the middle East and the Taliban and Al Qaeda and the stringent Sharia Islamic law and Saudi Arabia and the stringent rules that government imposes on his people. And, and we just think of all of that where that's ridiculous. I mean, there are 1.8 billion Muslims in the world, only 20% of whom live in the Middle East. Uh, of course, the extreme sects of Islam have problems with women, LGBT people, but the same can be said for every Abrahamic religion. You know, I just watched uh, a Netflix series on Orthodox about the Hasidim, you know, about how stringent uh, they are with women uh, and, 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 and a lot of the rules there. And of course, extreme sex of Christianity, you know, very, can be very oppressive towards women and, and, and LGBT people, certainly. So, yeah, and, and again, the, Samir's point was, if, if that was a Christian queen walking down the runway, Jeff Goldblum wouldn't have asked her that question. Oh, can't you say that Christianity is anti-gay, anti-women, even though the extreme sex you could say are. So, you know, at least in terms of how oppressive they are. So, so it, it changed my opinion, and I think it was uh, it was good. I'm glad I had that, um, and that's the reason why uh, you get a mailbag today. Only one interesting guest uh, per five day period for me. Uh, but but I, I do want to say about the mailbag. You know, I, I've thought about doing this really since I started the podcast uh, 12 weeks ago now, uh, 13 weeks ago, however long it's been. Because because when I was uh, you know at at Weei, I was on the air 16. 20 hours a week, and when you're exposed that much in a live radio setting, your audience gets to know you, for better or worse. I mean, you screw up on the air, you talk a lot about your personal life, at least I did. Um, you, The audience goes a lot of places with you. Um, it's obviously different now. You know, I'm not doing a daily radio show. We do this podcast, but it's, you know, half an hour, 35 minutes a week. A lot of it is an interview, and it's a lot of back and forth, but, you know, it's not a four-hour show, and believe me, if I said something insanely stupid, uh, not that I would ever do that on the air, but if I ever did, uh, I would edit it out. I mean, like, why wouldn't I? Why, why would I f myself over? So, so it's just, it's just much, it's much more contained by default because it's not live, and we're telling great stories on our website. But I don't know. I just wonder how much does do, do people here know me? I mean, do people even want to know me? I mean, probably not. You'd probably be better off if you didn't. But so I've been toying with doing this for a while. Um, I reluctantly did uh, this week. Felt like a good week to do it with the extra episode um, 
uh, in there. Um, I, I was I was uncertain how it would go because uh, I hate most of my followers on Twitter, but some good questions, some good questions. Um, and when I say I hate most of my followers, I mean I hate the all the outsports people. You're okay with me? It's the uh, it's the MAGA heads who uh, who who hate everything I tweet and write, and yet continue to obsess over me and follow me. I guess it's a gift. I don't know, but. Um, but I did get some good questions. Um, so just kind of want to run through them here and kind of riff a little bit. Um, the first one is just, I think, totally out of line. Uh, do you need me to send you money for a tripod so this video isn't shaky? Like, no, I, I, I think it's charming that I have a shaky cell phone vertically shot Twitter video accompanying my mailbag post. I, <laughs> I think it's good. No, I suck at all that stuff. Like my editing ability is so just elementary i mean it's a miracle that i'm able to do this every week and like actually put together a, a show but a, a great example of my lack of editing prowess is uh tuesday show when we we're talking about jeff goldblum's comments obviously it would have been i would have preferred that his actual comments were in there as a soundbite but i mean i don't really know how to do that <laughs> I mean, I mean, I could do it, but it'd take a very long time. And I, don't, and I guess, I don't know, I had copyright issues, and I just kind of wanted to get it out there. It's like, if you wanted to know what he said, you could search it on Twitter or Google. But, um, no, my uh, my editing skills are just awful. Uh, they're terrible. And, yeah, when I post Twitter videos like I did Friday, my hand is shaking. Um, I don't know why. Like, I do push-ups, bro. I don't know why I'm so weak. Uh, our friend Casey Edenfield otherwise known as Troy Ryan XXXX on Twitter, Troy Ryan triple X wants to know when I'm coming on. And then he put the eye emojis. Uh, that, that can mean a lot of things. Um, I'm, then he had like the, the laughing emoji. I don't know what the, I like the eye emoji more than the laughing emoji, to be honest, but um, I'll go on his podcast anytime, anytime. You just can't drink his crappy white beer. I'm a man. I drink gin and tonics or <laughs> 75 year old woman. Either one. Uh, Eric Hall, who used to be an Outsports contributor. There you go, Eric. Asked me what my favorite sports book is. Um, my brother is one of the most well-read people uh, on this planet. He is studying in Berlin. He's read all the classics. He's, he's read, done deep dives into Kafka and Marx and any philosopher you can think of. He's You can tell how well-versed I am on the subject. <laughs> He's, he's, he's read them. He's read the classics. Um, I am, by comparison, very poorly read. Uh, I wish I were better read. So that's something I'm always trying to work on. Um, but I did read a lot of sports books growing up and played a lot of sports video games. For someone who sucked at sports, I was obsessed with them. Um, and my favorite sports book was Moneyball. I mean, I, I never really found, like, the athlete biographies to be interesting. I, I mean, I read them. Like, I used to be obsessed with A-Rod. Um, growing up, which is ironic because I later in life became a pariah as well. So, so that made sense, I guess, in retrospect. But I don't know. Like to me, uh, professional athlete, I'd never been that interested in like you know Roger Clemens. Like I just don't find him to be that interesting of a figure. Um, the athletes you profile here at Out Sports, I think, are very interesting because they all have unique stories to tell. Obviously, as LGBT people, but I mean, like I don't know, Nomar his autobiography like eh, I don't just don't find it that interesting I just don't uh but I did find Moneyball interesting because I loved the strategy of it I mean it really I guess is more of a financial book since it was written by Michael Lewis and really 
explores how you find value in the marketplace. And I just found that very interesting. Uh, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, I would try to make up my own baseball teams with uh, $50 million payrolls. I'd, I'd be looking at players' o- OBP and, and slugging percentage. And, uh, you know, I know no, now those are rudimentary numbers. Uh, the game has gotten away from me. But uh, at the time, I loved it. I was obsessed with it. I just loved, again, the strategy of it and thinking of a baseball team as as a business and how do you extract – I just – it was so I loved the rumor mill even more than the games and I watched all the games too so I just that really got me turning and and you know I think maybe propelled me to want to get into sports writing you know I started my own sports blog when I was 12 I because I I I wanted I had a lot of thoughts about uh the value of a Rubio Durazo no I, I I just really I just really found that interesting the whole strategy analysis standpoint of it so uh like when i would go to fenway park i would literally look up at the press box almost as often as i was looking on the field i was just in the owner's box i was just the, the games within the game the sports writers the gms the moves how the moves are perceived i just loved all of that um which kind of goes to the next question here from christian dutcher who uh wants to know like why did i why did i start uh, reporting on sports when I was so young. Do I believe starting young helped or hurt my career? Uh, Christian says, I've always wanted to be an analyst since I was little, so when I saw that you would also start at a young age, it just made me curious. Um, that's an interesting question, Christian. It's something that I, uh, I think about all the time. Um, it's uh, Yeah, so when I was 12 years old, I started my own sports blog. Um, that quickly turned into my own Red Sox podcast, and I got lucky from the standpoint that Somehow a Boston Globe reporter stumbled upon my sports blog and wrote up a piece in the Boston Globe about me in 2005 when I was 12. And then from there, that summer, I did all the local TV shows. I found myself on the Today Show and the Tonight Show somehow. It was a totally surreal experience. Uh, And then from there, I kept podcasting. I did hundreds of these Red Sox podcasts all through college. I was obsessed with my career and I and I watched every game and I would stay up as a college kid I used to write for this website that nobody nobody could even pronounce called bostino.com no not boston.com not bostonino not boston I know a website called bostino really yes I wrote for a website called bostino like a typo <laughs> I wrote for a website that was named after a typo and and I stayed up till the wee hours of the morning writing about the Red Sox till 2, 3 a.m., you know, not going out on Friday nights if there was a big playoff game. I was just so obsessed with, with it. Was, it it's everything I wanted to do. Um, you know, so, and I think a big reason why is, you know, I didn't come out until I was 20 years old, so I really didn't have much of a, a personal life. I The pursuit of sex takes up a lot of bandwidth, as George Costanza uh, showed us. So I didn't have any of that going on. So I just really, I just really spent my whole life obsessed with my career. Um, so do I think it helped me? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I interviewed pretty much everybody in Boston on my podcast. I developed a lot of relationships. I, you know, got all the internships I wanted. And when I was getting out of college, I had a pretty big Rolodex and I was able to hit up a lot of people, land a lot of pretty good freelance gigs, especially for someone my age. And from there, it just got bigger. And I got my shot at WEI and and was there for three years. And, you know, so, you know, I, I started at EEI on morning drive when I was 23. 
you know, as, as a rotating host on that show, I, I, I don't think I would have gotten that break and been on those kind of radars if I hadn't started so young. So yeah, I think it absolutely did help me. Um, now looking back on it though, I, I do regret it from the standpoint that it really just burned me out. I mean, I'm 27 and sometimes I just feel like I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be done. Like I've been grinding for 15 years, like as stupid as that may sound, like literally 14 years old, 15 in, in my parents' basement, you know, recording my podcast on park benches in college. I, it's like I've been sun, early Sunday morning college radio shows. I was so obsessed with my career. It's like I, I it kind of made me cynical much younger than I should be, I guess. I, and that's a big reason why I left EEI last summer. I mean, that was like my dream job, but I just – I had a show every Sunday morning or I would host a show from Fenway Park and, and, and I would go to that show in a bad mood a lot of the time. And looking back, I miss it dearly now. Uh, I you know did some work in, in political communications, didn't like it, uh, like things a lot better here. And I've renewed appreciation for my platform and for all the stuff I did. But And I regret taking it for granted. But, uh, you know, I, I think just – I guess a long story short is, yes, it helped me, but – I don't know if I don't think I would do that again. I I think it's good to just enjoy like and have that life balance. It's 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 so important. It's really how you just become. Like I have never I, I've I've barely seen a Disney movie. I, I mean, there are so many things that I didn't do as a kid because I was again compiling forty million dollar you know baseball teams with forty million dollar payrolls. So so I mean, it was just I missed out a lot of things, and I feel like that's kind of what I'm trying to focus on a lot now is making up for lost time on that end of things so hope that helped christian uh hey i think it's always good to be ambitious and go for it but uh but i also think you know it's okay to just like not write that blog that you're not getting paid money for anyway (laughs) which i never did um this one comes from mike t298 he's a he's a member of team ream he's, he's on me a lot there uh, outside of the three mainstream American sports, which are football, baseball, basketball, what other sports interest you and what do I like reporting on? I mean, to be honest, my interest in sports themselves has waned over the years, um, which is, is a reason, again, why I, I wanted them kind of I'm loving the stuff I'm doing now because a lot of the stuff we do about sports. Yes, we write about you know, out, you know, queer athletes, LGBT athletes, but we write about people, ultimately. We're not breaking down the X's and O's of any game anywhere. So I, I like, it's just the X's and O's just have become less interesting to me over time. Um, I love the stories. I love the big national story. You know, you want to talk about uh, coverage of the NFL draft. I'm, I'll do that all day long. You know, you want to talk about, uh, how John Henry, owner of the Red Sox, how his Boston Globe covers his baseball team. I'm, I'm into that. You want to talk about the Patriots drafting a kicker with a, a white supremacist tattoo. I'll, I'll talk about that, write about that all day. I, I love the platform that sports gives us to talk about greater issues. Um, so, so yeah, so I'm not really following anything outside of, you know, uh, religiously outside of the three mainstream sports. I do love football. Uh, I hate the NFL, but I love football because uh, I, I just love the spectacle of it. To me, I, I'm, I'm in it for the spectacle. Um, but I have really enjoyed 
reporting on the WNBA in my time at Out Sports because it's just such a fascinating league with so many great people and and, and smart people. Uh, this week I spoke with uh, Leisha Clarendon, uh, uh, Clarendon for a story about uh, her involvement with the Masks for the People campaign, getting masks and protective gear to underprivileged communities, minority communities. She's the a gender a non she's a gender nonconforming uh, player and, and and she's and she's great i mean she's so smart and uh, her perspective is so just so real and and you know talking about someone who really is gets it i mean just the the inequity in this country and we talked about voting rights and how that is the biggest issue heading into the 2016 election which i totally agree on i think any Democrat who pretends like we're heading into fair elections is totally out of their mind. I mean, the Republicans, that's the question. That is the question. It's, we know it will be rigged somehow. It's how much will it be rigged and how much can we stop it? You know, How much can we stop a situation like we see in Wisconsin last month where all but five polling places in Milwaukee are closed down? I mean, the virus will still be out there. So, and Leisha, just to hear someone with her platform talk about that too and the work she wants to do with that, I think was just so great. Uh, Kurt Miller, who was on a few weeks ago, loved talking with him. Uh, so it's been really cool to delve into that league and, and the personalities in it as well. Um, this question comes from Mike Morgan. Here's one. Uh, talk about a time I experienced homophobia as a sports reporter. Uh, what happened and how did I feel? Um, I've never really been a hardcore sports reporter per se like I've never covered a game (laughs) I've covered I take that back I covered one Pawtucket Red Sox game as a like a stringer for the Herald in college and then uh I I maybe a college hockey game I did too for the but like I've never like gone to let's say a Patriots game or a Celtics game and, and covered and covered it I never have so I've never been in the locker room um, so I can't speak at it from that end. I can talk as like a personality in WEI. I, I don't think I experienced a lot of homophobia. I really don't. I mean, I've said this before. I think it helped my career. I mean, coming out on the air definitely helped me. It gave me unique perspective. It gave me unique voice. There's no doubt. I mean, it, it was an instant way for me to define myself and I make no apologies for that. Um, and, uh, you know, and I also allowed me to be my true self. I don't think I would able to have uh, hung on like I did if, if I was hiding this big part about me. Um, you know, most of the crap I got and still get today is just, you know, my, my political views, you know, people are, you know, again, the MAGA heads, you know, you know, they're crazy. Um, so yeah, I, I think it amplifies some people's, um, very unnecessary hatred towards me, but, uh, I, uh, I, I don't think it's the driving force really. I don't, I don't. Um, but, you know, again, I, so yeah, but I, I would, I always say it, it helped me. It coming out helped me, and I'm unapologetic about that. I don't think that's using sexuality. That's just being who you are and kind of just you know, defining yourself. Um, the last one is a great one. This is from West Bay Flyer. Is it true that I'm a nudist and I only podcast wearing a necklace? Um, I don't own a necklace. That's all I'll say about that question. <laughs> uh, by the way, West Bay Flyer, the profile. Uh, says they tell erotic hashtag gay stories to fire your imagination and fuel your shower fantasies. Provocative reading for the unapologetically queer mind. So oh, I'm on I'm on West Bay Flyers uh, radar. That's that's great to hear. So there you go. There's there's the mailbag episode. Um, I was 
going to be embarrassed if we got no questions. We got a few, and they were good. I thought they were, I thought they were very, very good. I'm just going to check one more time, make sure there are any I missed. No, not I missed, but people are liking the video, my shaky Twitter video. People like the authenticity. I'm telling you, people like that. Um, yeah, so thanks for the mailbag. I, if you liked it, didn't like it, I appreciate your feedback. Always. I end every episode saying this, but I'm not sure many people hear it because it's always after the interview and maybe a lot of you turn it off. But at AlexStreamer1 is my Twitter handle. Uh, tweet at me with suggestions on the podcast, people you'd like to hear on the podcast as well. Uh, you know, I talk about before, we do all these cool, like, Zoom calls Friday night without sports. We had a trivia night this week. We have a cool community, lots of cool people. If there's someone you want, if there's a cool person you want for me to have on, just let me know, and, and I'm happy to uh, see if I can make that happen. So thank you all for listening. Uh, we're surviving week seven, going on week eight of the lockdown here in Massachusetts, and uh, we'll talk to you next Saturday. So long.